Get road trip ready with a service checkup at your local Chevy dealer. They can save you time and money and get the job done right the first time, worry-free. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for current service specials or to schedule a test drive. Let's get it going with Blockbuster Blake Stubbs. Blockbuster, is that how you want to be referred to, by the way? We've been on the air before, and I never considered, is that really like, should I refer to you? Is that your first name? Hey, Blockbuster, can I just call you that? Uh, you know, well, we can roll with that if you like. I, well, I, I like the block. I like Blockbuster Blake Stubbs, get, don't get me wrong, but I think it'd be sort of cool if I go, hey, Blockbuster, what's up? You know what? I'm only going to answer to that name when you say it. That's okay. it. That's All your right. exclusive nickname for me. I love it. I oh, good. I love it. I do. Well, you know, I love talking about the movies with you. Um, and I know that you've seen uh, the Avatar, There's More Water Than Anybody Wants movie, and <laughs> um, uh, Fablemans. Yeah. And a- as luck would have it, so have I. Excellent. Because over the holidays... Uh, my wife and I paid good money uh, to go see Avatar in 3D. And then you and I had talked previously about how the box office for Spielberg's Fable, Fablemans was not, there wasn't a lot of box office. In fact, there wasn't even a lot of distribution. Remember, we couldn't find the movie. Right. We yeah. had to go look for the movie. Well, it all of a struggle. Yeah. yeah, it popped up on my pay-per-view at home. Yeah, and I like, I was, said, yeah, I'm like, honey, come here, look at this. I mean, it was like 1995, but I figure, you know, if I went to see it at the movie theater, it'd be at least that much. Plus if I decided to get popcorn, it'd be a hundred bucks. So, <laughs> you know, uh, well, well, let's talk about those. Uh, we're going to break in about, I don't know, three minutes or so. I want to talk about the, the Fablemans and the, and the avatars and the movies that are coming out now. And I'll look down the road a bit uh, because I'm, I'm still believe, I'm not sure that because with all the additions of the streaming services, it certainly used to be that January, February and most of March was where they dumped the movies they didn't think were going to make it in the year before. So um, we'll take a look at that. Uh, what do you want to start with first? Tell you what, let's first kick off with uh, with the Fablemans because okay. we, we both wanted to see that last month, but we had to obviously wait. Right. Uh, and it was it was quite disappointing that the distribution of the film was. I want to use the word muddled because it was playing uh, in in a lot of areas, but it wasn't playing where I live. Um, right. It was going to be a huge hurdle for you to get to go see it, but once it finally you know started to sort of spread out in terms of its distribution, which was kind of odd because it's a Steven Spielberg film. Uh, and and I, I was so curious to know what his partially autobiographical film was going to end up looking like. You know, I mean, I wanted to see what, what I feel is one of our greatest visual storytellers um, would do with his own story. Uh, and essentially, that's what The Fablemans is. Um, now, obviously, the names have been changed to protect the innocent, uh, so to speak. But um, Steven Spielberg working with Tony Kushner, who he has collaborated with multiple times, um, brilliant and very accomplished writer. Uh, he they, they got together and sort of took some of the best and biggest moments of Spielberg's young life uh, and, and constructed a two-and-a-half-hour 
semi-autobiographical film uh, that, that to me, uh, sort of gave us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, uh, at, at the man himself, Steven Spielberg. Um, I want to open up by simply saying that I, I absolutely was a total sap for this movie. It sucked me in. Now, John, I don't know if you had the same reaction, but for whatever reason, I was hoping to get sort of, uh, again, that little peek behind the curtain, but also I, I wanted to see all of Spielberg's greatest hits between his camera movements that, that he loves to do, uh, working again with Janusz Kaminski, um, which I, I've, I've lost track of how many collaborations they've had, but uh, ever since Schindler's List, they have been, they've been working together. Um, obviously, you've got a, a John Williams score in there. Uh, this this is really kind of like Spielberg getting really personal. Uh, even though once you finish watching this movie, knowing that so much of it is based on things that really did happen for him, uh, he's been sprinkling the Fablemans throughout his entire career in his filmography which is, I think, why it sucked me in so much, because I'm a big Spielberg guy. I'm a big fan. And, and, and on top of reviewing some of his films, I really did. He just he, he took me with this one. I couldn't help it. What well, do you think? I will tell you when we come back right after this break. <laughs> 17 minutes after 7 with John Landecker, 720 WGN, talking to blockbuster Blake Stubbs about movies. We're in the middle of a conversation about the Fablemans. Uh, which we both saw. Uh, Blake wanted to know what I thought about it before the break, and now we're back, and so I'm going to tell you. And it's going to be a little difficult for me to explain because there was an extremely personal connection that I had with this film that I never saw coming. And I'll try to put it in context, and it may apply to some other people. I don't know. I was at uh, in Chicago working at WLS. I came here about 1972. And I'd always been interested in movies, always, from day one. And I don't know, somewhere around 75, 76, I decided that I would embark on making home movies with Super 8 millimeter film. And these were tiny, they were small reels of film that you would buy at the uh, photo store, usually Kodak, in a square uh, yellow box. Uh, if you wanted to edit these films into any kind of storyline, you would have to buy a, an editor that would have, you'd put the movie reel on, the exposed reel on one uh, end of it and then run it through a viewer and bring it up and hand crank frame by frame by frame. If you wanted to edit it, you had to take literally a razor blade and cut the film. And then to put it back together, in the days when Steven Spielberg did that, which I imagine must have been about 10 years before I did, they used a glue with a brush. By the time I got to it, it was splicing tabs, I believe was the name of it. And, when I, and then, if you wanted to provide any kind of music with these films, since they weren't sound on film, you would attempt to, on a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder, record some sort of music or whatever and play it along with the Super 8 film. When Spielberg, when the young Fableman went through that exact process, my jaw was on the floor. I mean, I was in a whole different zone after that. It was, I mean, maybe there were other people who did that, you know? 
But um, I told my daughter Amy about it, and she goes, well, that certainly reminds me of somebody I know. Uh, so I guess that that really contributed to my enjoyment of that movie. See, that's incredible to hear, John, because I, the whole time I was watching the movie, I knew I was going to be in for some kind of treat. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I just knew that there was going to be something there that was going to draw me in. And it kind of happened pretty early in the film. And it was really with the young actor playing Sammy Fableman, the younger Spielberg. When he finally stepped in and, and they had done the, the jump in time, because you meet him when he's a very young man, a little boy, and playing around with the family camera and everything. And, of course, the bit with the train crashing. And, yeah. and I'm not spoiling too much other than no. to say they go to the, the movie opens with him seeing his first film. And if you know and have watched a lot of Q&As that Spielberg has done over the years, which a great deal of them are on YouTube, you can watch interviews with him where he tells stories of what it was like growing up and all this. A lot of it ends up in this movie. And and the thing that I I really connected with was that he was really trying to romanticize a life that he's processed at this point. And and for me, there's a there's a line in the movie Moneyball where Brad Pitt it says it multiple times in the film where it's really hard not to be romantic about baseball. And and while I am a sports fan, for me, it's really hard for me not to be romantic about movies. I hear you. And and so this movie, with that thought, this movie really sucked me in with that. And again, with excellent performances, uh, Michelle Williams playing his mother. Um, really blew me away, if I'm being honest. Uh, and, and I know that uh, there's only a few clips that you can see of the woman herself, um, but when he won the Oscar for Schindler's List, he thanked his mother. She was in the audience, and when the camera cut to her, um, her laugh and her mannerisms, it, it just it felt like I, I had seen this person before, and it's because I had. I had seen the clip of, of his mother in the audience at the Oscars years ago. Um, I also want to say that I thought that Seth Rogen did a very admirable job. Excellent performance from him. Judd Hirsch comes in like a tornado and leaves and is fantastic. This movie is loaded with great acting on top of excellent craft and filmmaking. And again, this is a very personal story from one of what I feel is one of our greatest visual storytellers. So, uh, and I can't ignore Paul Dano, or Dano, sorry, uh, who plays his father, Burt Fableman, who is the absolute contrast of his mother. Um, and that's something that, again, when you watch a lot of his films, uh, you realize that he has always been sprinkling a lot of himself into those films. But now he's made a film that sort of shows you why. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, if you go into the movie knowing that, um, you're going to enjoy it. And also, I just want to throw out there that there's a, a, a particular cameo at the end of the film in what is quite possibly one of, you know, a very great, impactful, uh, funny uh, ending that I'm not going to spoil, but uh, movie fans, if you, I'm not going to pretend you don't already know who's playing uh, this particular person <laughs> or who the person is, but um, the, the way the film ends is a story I had seen Spielberg tell in an interview years ago. Um, and so it was always in the back of my mind. And when that scene starts to unfold, it happens exactly the way he told it. It right. is as funny as his rendition of the story in the interview, but also uh, it leads to what I think is an incredibly uh, funny uh, and kind of a what it's really all about final shot. So, uh, you know, this is a movie that's going to be big come Oscar time, I think, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but also, I think it's one of those movies that, it's unfortunate that it wasn't so widely released 
right away. So if you have to track this movie down, I highly recommend that people do it. Well, you know, I don't buy very many movies, but when this is available, uh, it's one that I'm buying. I'm talking to blockbuster Blake Stubbs about films at 724-720-WGN. Let's move on to uh, Avatar, uh, The Waterworks, or whatever the, <laughs> whatever this movie is called, uh, which is how long is that Avatar movie? Three hours and 33 33- Three hours and twelve, yeah, three twelve. Yeah. Uh, at, at least at my screening, it did. Uh, right. But yeah, I, I also did the the big IMAX 3D uh, screening. Um, you know, Avatar: The Way of Water, The Way of Water uh, is James Cameron's second installment in the Avatar film series because his intention was always to make, I believe, about six of them, uh, five, oh, five or six of them. Uh, and the we've waited a long time for this one. Uh, I believe it's about 13, 14 years. Uh, I don't know the exact uh, day or, you know, amount right, of days. Right, but, right, Um The long and short of it is, is if you're wondering why we're getting the sequel now, um, if you had a chance to go see it, you might understand why. Um, mainly because of the visuals of the film. A lot of the technology that was, you know, utilized to make this movie, again, which, by the way, I've tried to absorb as much understanding as to how they did so much of this. I and mean, I still feel like I've barely scratched the surface. Um, walking out of this movie, I immediately thought, you know what, as far as a story goes, this is a solid continuation of of a of a story that, to be honest, I thought I had kind of forgotten, but I really didn't, um, you know, all those years ago. Because I remember seeing the first film and thinking, wow, visually, that's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Yeah. And the story was fine. It was easy to follow. Um, you know, the, the acting was, was good, but the action and the suspense in certain places, but also the slower, um, more dramatic beats of the film, like, made a lot of sense. Um, a lot of that's still in play here, I think, with The Way of Water. Um, the, the big thing for me, though, again, is the visual spectacle. Um, something about the Avatar films that, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about how they don't like the story too much or, or they think it's, it's um, like an amalgamation of too many things they like. My counterpoint to that argument, and not to really defend the story or, or go into why I think it's great, because I, I think it's good, um, is I think this is a, one of the few major cinematic events that, despite the fact this film was rated PG-13, almost any age can sit and view and get taken in by this because of the big spectacle, because of the fact that visually it tells its story quite well. Well, you see, the um, thing and, is, that's that's the whole thing when it comes to my opinion about this Avatar movie, was that to a certain extent I'd been there and done that before. And the first time I saw the special effects in the original Avatar movie, I was blown away. But these special effects are pretty much along the same lines with the same type of characters in the same type of settings, and it did not make a huge impression on me. I mean, I enjoyed it. I yeah. didn't wa- I didn't want my money back, but, but I, it wasn't like I had ventured into some new brand brand new universe of special effects because I'd pretty much seen some of this before. Do you know what I mean? Sure, yeah. I, I think it's more of a, in a lot of ways, technologically, I think they've just upgraded a lot of the tech. Yeah. Um, yeah. Developed some new tech. Um, I watched a, a brief interview with Cameron, talk, Jim Cameron, talking about. Uh, I should say James. I don't know him. Uh, <laughs> Jim Cameron talking about uh, how you know there there was a technology that had been developed that the filmmakers had 
um, seen demoed at one point, and they found a way to incorporate and enhance whatever that technology was. Right. A great deal of it had to do with the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, if you're familiar with James Cameron's filmography, you know the man loves him some water. Oh boy, uh, so does he ever! The <laughs> I think the guy's got uh, Titanic. I, I think he has a yeah. water fetish of some kind. I'm not quite sure what it is. It's, and, well, and his own uh, trek to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. I mean, you know, yeah. this is a documentary about that. So, look, I, I think that it's safe to say that uh, visually this movie is spectacular. Um, no, indeed. I don't yep. um, want to back away from uh, saying that I think you're onto something there, John, where, you know, like may- maybe you weren't as impressed as you were the first time because this is a continuation. And while clearly. Mm-hmm. The visuals have upgraded. You know, um, certain things look more photorealistic than they did in the first film. Uh, it, it definitely, you know, it has solid acting. It's got it's got a, a decent enough continuation of its original story, despite the fact that there's a, a time chasm, so to speak, uh, which the film also adheres to, uh, because our, our main character uh, Jake Sully has uh, a whole family now. They have, yes. they have teenagers. Yep. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot to, to take in with a three-hour movie, for sure, any three-hour movie. At least that's your hope. Um, I felt like this was just an easy one to follow, uh, story-wise, which I think was its intention. I think that's by design. And uh, it utilizes actors from the first film that you thought might not reappear, um, who get to do some uh, exciting work, I think, as far as acting goes. For example, Sigourney Weaver and Stephen Lang both. Uh, Weaver playing a teenager in the film, uh, and Stephen Lang playing a, it's an avatar version of his original character, except it's, and you find this out very early in the film, he's a clone. So right. he has memories, but he has no sense of like identity other than he knows what he needs to do. Well, um, listen, so, I, I'm sorry to interrupt because we could go on about this for <laughs> quite a while, and that would be just fine with me. But we have run out of time, and I want to thank you, Blockbuster Blake Stubbs, for talking again with us here at WGN, and I look forward to the next time.